Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first Lyra episode of 2022. It's season two, episode six, and today we're going to be discussing In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. It's our second attempt to talk about this, unfortunately, because we had some technical issues, which meant we lost the entire episode when we tried to record it before Christmas. So hopefully things go a bit better today. Lads, Happy Christmas, Happy New Year. Great to see you all. How's everyone? Oh, very good. Eh? Nothing, nothing to, to tell, really. Like, I mean, literally everybody I know had either either had COVID or somebody in their immediate, immediate family had COVID. So I didn't see anyone. I didn't really see many people outside of my family, like, you know, but it was still lovely. It was so nice to be, you know, at home. Like, and uh, like my sister lives in London and like she was due to fly home on like 21st or something. But, um, she got COVID then and had to cancel her flight and she wasn't going to make it home. But then Boris Johnson changed the isolation period from 10 days to seven. So she got home on Christmas Eve, like last minute flight. Like, so that was good anyway, you know. Um, that's pretty much my, I didn't, my Christmas, you know, I didn't do a whole lot and got nicely led into the start of work. We had two days, just had to, had to work for two days before doing a full week. And you know me, after a full week of teaching, I'm wrecked. <laughs> no, no, no. But like, it's, 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 uh, it's good to be back now. Like, but it was nice to little time off. And what about the rest of you, Les? Uh, I was in Spain for Christmas, actually. My family went over. We flew into Barcelona the 22nd, went down to Valencia for four days, and then we came back up to Barcelona then for two days, for Stephen's Day on 27, and flew back the following day. So that was nice, it was something different, and it was grand, I'd say, to get out of the kind of the pall of, of COVID over here. It was seemed to be kind of everywhere. Since that then, I haven't done a whole lot. My father actually had COVID there last week so we were kind of we were limiting our movements or whatever until friday they're just gone but he's out of it there again grand now so uh yeah kind of same old crack typical irish january really are you doing dry january dry january not quite no but uh, well there's not much to be at anyway so like it's essentially kind of dry ah. by default anyway like so but uh yeah no not 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 in an official capacity no why would you bother your hole yeah. i think you're not doing it either Marty, are you? huh? you're not doing it either no, no, like as you say, friend, there is nothing on, but like, I'm not going to force myself to not do it. Like, you know, a wee bottle of wine on a Friday evening is no harm to anybody, <laughs> or a few, or a few, a few cans watching the match, whatever. Jesus Christ, a lot of cans fucking cost you about two fifty a pop now at this minimum unit. Oh, price. what? Unbelievable. As if the government wasn't unpopular enough already, look. Yeah. <laughs> Your days, Franny, of buying four cans of Pratsky for a fiver in my days in Drumcondor are long gone, it seems. Sad, sad to say, Smith, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a relic of history now, unfortunately. Yeah. Me waking up moving home now, that, that'll be a <laughs> firmly negative. I nearly get into playing back to Spain, boy. Fuck this, can't be <laughs> Tell you what, when I'm driving back to Donegal, I'll be stopping in a skill and fairly regularly. Uh, <laughs> If cans have been new fireworks, the last going up for can runs up the north. Or and how are you? How was your you had a great trip for Christmas and road trip? You want to tell us about that? Yeah, and I got a got a Christmas queen, um, Christmas day at the in laws, and then myself and Claire flew down to Melbourne and rented a camper van and drove to Adelaide, basically so down the Great Ocean Road, of course, to Kangaroo Island, and into Adelaide. Then it was a lot of fun, pretty tame to be honest. We just Chilled out in the van, no stays, avoided cafes and restaurants. COVID is somewhat kicking off. Yeah, we managed to avoid the chaos in, in Sydney. When we came back, we both got a significant shock, the amount of cases and 
all over manly and restaurants closed and we were kind of just tipping along like everything was fine uh very oblivious but uh yeah great christmas not to say bit shell-shocked to be back at work there last week but it is what it is any news yourself Matt? Uh, or you might have uh no, quiet, was it? Quiet one. Yeah, well, I got to, I got engaged and I got COVID, so I don't know which one you want to talk. <laughs> it's probably more exciting to talk about being Which one we want to hear about? Yeah, the engagement's is probably more exciting. Yeah, so Hannah and myself got engaged there hey. in the December, so two days before Christmas. So, yeah, I had a lovely Christmas. I'm about 90% champagne still, I think. Yeah, it was lovely. <laughs> Just made a few days, uh, Hannah got a big shock, and we had a lovely few days then, and we had quiet Christmas as well, just for COVID and stuff. We uh, hosted kind of here in Manly on the beach, and a few friends come over, and we had a barbecue and a few cans and all that. Then New Year's, we went on a boat in Sydney Harbour for fireworks, and it was lovely, but we all got COVID, so <laughs> the entire gang. So it was a quiet, uh, it was grand though, because I tested positive the day before I started back work, so it wasn't too bad. I work from home anyway, so yeah, that's about it. Finished that isolation last monday so just slowly reintegrating back into normal life now yeah it was a busy busy christmas uh laura our listenership drops by 50 percent now that smith is off the market all the fan mail now will be reduced in numbers i'd say all those uh unsolicited emails we get <laughs> on that note uh we'll move on to our uh in cold blood i think franny do you want to give our listeners maybe who haven't read it just a brief overview of the book and what it's about yeah so it's basically a true crime look at this uh, murder that happened in Kansas in the late 1950s. So first of all, you get kind of yeah, a look at the, the the murder victims and then also in parallel, you get the, the perpetrators of the murder and basically you follow the story through to, to, to the murder itself and then the police hunt for the murderers and the trial and, and, and all that. So yeah, that's essentially that's essentially what it is. Had you like come across this book before or like are you a fan of the true crime genre, I suppose, in general, with like podcasts and books and I suppose a lot of documentaries? I'd never heard of this book before either. I know, to be honest, I'm not a mad... I like Not that I wouldn't be into true crime stuff, but it's just I wouldn't be like, you know, a lot of people will be really into it and they'll be watching all the Netflix documentaries and stuff. And it's just not something that I've really ever got into that much. So yeah, it was. this was kind of new to me, actually. Because like even... Like I would have never really listened to any of those podcasts or, or series or whatever. Um, so I suppose for a book that was so old, it was kind of funny in a way that it was kind of a new enough thing that I hadn't really, uh, I hadn't really been into before. But uh, it was very enjoyable, though. I really found it was, uh, it was, it was a great read and a great, an interesting story and a lot of interesting characters in it. It's a good introduction, I suppose, to true crime. Then when it's one of the pioneering things, I wonder. And other lads, Oren, like, would you be a fan of true crime? Would you listen to, would you watch the Making a Murder or say, or have you read books like this before? I, I don't think I've actually read books like it before, but I kind of I wouldn't put myself down as like a, a kind of true crime nut that I feel a lot of people would kind of end up being. But uh, having said that, like I've listened to Serial back in the day. I've watched a good few of those kind of kind of like documentary TV shows uh, that have been on Netflix and that sort of thing. But uh, kind of some of that was just that uh, they were kind of popular at their own um, just gave them a watch. So like I enjoy it. I found this one a bit weird even just i don't know the fact was maybe a bit older and how it was done was was interesting but uh, i'm interested in delving into that very good what about you marty are you a true crime nut or not at all <laughs> well to make the full set no uh in short i, I do enjoy them like but i don't <laughs> um, i don't go actively seeking them out you know if they're on i'll watch them generally if there's like you know big fuss about them or hype yeah i'll end up watching them but i wouldn't i wouldn't put them on just out of out of, out of boredom or anything like that you know um it'd be more so like tv shows and that like and like the, the documentaries 
I haven't really listened to any true crime podcast, so I couldn't say that I'm, you know, into or not into them. Um, but this is definitely the first true crime book uh, I've read. What about you, Smith? What do you I'm view on that genre? Four true crime experts here to talk about the book. <laughs> I'm similar. I had like Oran, I listened to Serial, I thought that was really good. And um, the West Cork podcast. Like, I think more certain cases I'm very interested in rather than the genre. Like, I, I read a couple of books on like Jack the Ripper and stuff because I find that interesting but in general I wouldn't read I had never read a book like this really either I was excited to read this book because it's often come on a lot of lists of best non-fiction novels of all time I've often seen it on books on lists like that over the years so I was keen when we decided to pick up the podcast I was delighted the chance to read it and yeah I did enjoy it as well so I think it's a good time to jump into the book it's in, I'm interested to hear what you all think of it yeah I suppose um, overall I did enjoy it but one thing I will say is like you know the first 20% in it, into, into it when I was 20% into it I was like oh this is this is going to be class you know I, it was really building up and I was like I can't wait for this to kick off, like, you know, and, and maybe that's just the type of book that I'm used to reading or whatever, but I kind of found, like, later on in the book, it did it did keep my interest, you know, it did keep me going, but as it was coming towards the end, I was like, okay, when's the big the big thing going to happen now? Like, and I kind of felt a little bit, not necessarily let down by it, but um, maybe a bit underwhelmed in that way, but I look, that, that may have been... It's that that may have been like the purpose of the book going over my head, you know. I really did like the the way the community of Holcomb was portrayed and like how this was, you know, a, like almost like a community defining moment, like, you know, and how it's changed everything and, and, and for them. Uh, and I also really like how Capote like really humanized, you know, Perry and Dick. Like you you weren't for for a long time I wasn't sure whether whether I hated them or felt sorry for them, you know. But um, so any any book that does that, like I, I actually really like that kind of thing where you're you're torn between your your opinions of the characters. But overall, yeah, I enjoyed it. I actually I listened to it, uh, which is always it's always just a different experience, isn't it? When you're when you're reading it, I did think it kind of lended itself to it though, and um, because it was kind of so factual and it was it was quite a slow book, so it was easy enough to follow, um. I kind of felt the one drawback for me was that it was at times just kind of too slow. Like kind of, kind of what Marty was saying, there was just, you kind of want to just move things on a little bit, but then kind of looking back at the end in hindsight, you're kind of appreciative of how much, how many layers, I suppose, um, Capote lays down of the different characters, even of the actual town and the impact that it has there. Like you, you wouldn't get that overall sort of feeling, I think, unless you put in the time and effort to describe the kind of the nature of the community and the characters in it. And, you know, he's describing the postmistress in the town, which is completely, like, irrelevant. But at the same time, you get a much better feel then for, for the community. So, uh, like, I can see how, 100%, I can see how it's a classic and I definitely recommend it to for, for people to read. So, but yeah, kind of at times a bit slow. In fairness to Capote, like, he I apparently had uh, 8,000 pages of notes. Like, so... It would have been t- like tough enough to condense it down to to what he did, so I, I can I can appreciate that. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, like I would agree, obviously that it is quite slow. You know, it is it it does like err on the side of including too much rather than too little, and uh, like you know, obviously that is a bit frustrating at times. But I thought the story, first of all, is obviously quite compelling, and then like the way the way he portrays the characters in it, as in like there's all there's obviously a lot of 
a lot of grey in all of them. Like, you know, he doesn't try to make out Perry and Dick as being these cold-blooded murderers or that, like, they're just, they're not worthy of any sort of consideration. You know, he does delve deeply into their character and, like, the more human side of them, which I thought was really good. And I suppose as well, you kind of have to regard it as being what it is and that it's like one of the first kind of regarded as one of the first major non-fiction novels ever so i think that's probably why it's probably attained classic status and stuff too is that it did something that hadn't been done before and you know it it did something that was revolutionary at the time i suppose the style of the writing too i felt was was just brilliant like i hadn't read Anton by quote before and just the way he describes things and the way he uses language i think is really incredible like you can see why he's so hard held in such high regard as a writer um, so I love that as well. And yeah, altogether, like I, re- I really enjoyed this, I have to say. It's interesting you say about how good he is as a writer. I think I read somewhere recently that he was very disappointed that he didn't win the Pulitzer Prize for this book. I actually have the Wikipedia page up here. I was just flicking down through it. But yeah, he, he says that, yeah, that he was he was disappointed not to get it. Yeah, that's my good, good old loss using the Wikipedia there as a fault, a source of information for the podcast. I think. If Blind Boy can do it, huh? Oh yeah, sure. The, the pioneer of it. I, I'm similar to you in that it was slow at times. I think you could easily pick up the book and not get into it if you didn't know what you're getting yourself in for. But I was kind of really interested. I think these things, it's like the how and the why you're always like, when it's such shocking murders for like a family, like as Franny said, it's very compelling. Even you read the blurb, you hear the general story of this really popular family being butchered in their home with no apparent motive. I think like the how was really well done, the way they traced the movements on the last day. And then later on in the book, you're kind of waiting for a lot of the book to hear the vivid details. All these things are like, how will they be explained later? And then the why, I suppose, you're probably waiting most of the book to hear the why as well. And maybe the why, the reasons for the murder aren't as compelling, or maybe they're just far more random than you expected, or like it makes it even more tragic, I suppose. I think the tragedy was very well um expressed as like Warren you mentioned the postmistress and stuff but that that community sense of despair and tragedy was really uh really captured my imagination I found and the tragedy of like Perry's childhood and stuff and the characters as Franny said everyone's pretty great so yeah overall I, I actually did really enjoy it I actually think now I enjoy it more than when we first recorded the podcast looking back on it um I'm looking back on it quite I think about it quite often which uh good sign just it was interesting that you said about um the why of the murder was kind of was kind of a bit of a letdown like you're kind of expecting i feel like the way it's set up from the start it's it's dealt with very vaguely like deliberately at the start you're kind of you get you get that they've been murdered and you get the perry and dick have done it but you don't really get the details and stuff or even how they got there or like you kind of and you're kind of expecting a kind of a master plan or something maybe or something some big twist in the narrative that kind of explains the whole thing and then you kind of realize then that it's not that at all. That it's just it's it really is something that was quite random and and that you know they were looking for this safe that didn't exist and it was just on the on the basis of this thing that he that, that they could hurt in jail and it does kind of add I suppose to the kind of the senselessness of it and the the tragedy of it too that like you're kind of I don't know that that there's not that kind of that there's no meaning to it really and that it is just a kind of a senseless random act of violence. Yeah, I think like that's maybe one of the things that maybe underwhelmed me a bit was because do you remember at the start Johnson, the insurance agent, and then it, when it was revealed that Perry's sister was married to him, I was like, oh, this is it. It was a big plot. And then I kind of felt kind of like, oh, no, no, it wasn't. It was just it was just this safe, you know. <laughs> she said, Franny, it probably is no sense to it. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to 
a throwaway comment that in jail by was a Floyd Wells, I think was Dick's cellmate, and it was factually incorrect as well. Like the whole crime was based on driving all this distance and going in like Dick telling them, even if there's eight or 12 people, we're going to murder everyone, no witnesses for this safe that didn't even exist. So that makes it like the murders would have been shocking enough. And if they made off with 20 grand or whatever it was, but wasn't it like $50 they left the property with after murdering? $50 in binoculars and there was something else, a radio, wasn't it? Like they got nothing from it. Like it's, it's kind of all built on pretense. Like even um, Perry, who Dick kind of gravitated towards because he thought he'd murdered somebody, hadn't even murdered somebody before. Or that was kind of dead. Was, had he definitely not murdered somebody or was that kind of just thrown into... He said himself he didn't like that. He invented that story. He didn't know uh, a black man by kinda, name or whatever, but he hadn't murdered him, like he told Dick. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of I kind of believed him in that. Like I was, certainly by the end, I was taking everything that Perry said as, as gospel almost. But yeah, I just thought it was hilarious that everything was kind of just built on this pretense that on if, you know, if somebody had called, I don't know, bullshit at some point, you know the family wouldn't have been murdered at all i'm sure we'll chat about this later but as well but um one point um i suppose we kind of know is that capote got very close to smith when he was uh writing this book and you know there's in kind of not allegations but like you know comments made that you know maybe smith or was portrayed a bit more innocent than he may have actually been you know Maybe he did murder another person, but um, but yeah, who knows? It was interesting though, like in the book, wasn't Smith, like there was a, a time where, and you're like hoping for it to happen, even though you know that the murder is going to take place, but when they're sitting in the car and Perry doesn't want to go into the house, he's happy to call off the whole thing, like the robbery. And then it's just hard to wrap your head around that then with what subsequently happens where he's he's the cold-blooded killer out of the two of them. Dick's kind of bald, bravado and kind of false threats and stuff but Perry's portrayal and the whole thing he's such a fascinating character like it make you nearly want to read more on him I feel like um, as you're saying Marty that uh, Capote kind of probably put him in a favourable light I feel like that nearly adds an extra dimension to the book as well you just like knowing that information that there's that kind of was he of sane mind going into like, you know what sort of character was he was, is it a sociopath or a psychopath who you know force people to like them say or was he just a likable character who just had 30 minutes of yeah right i'm gonna do this like it, it nearly it raises more questions which i enjoy more than over and chatting a bit than, than not like puts a kind of a personality to a murder it's not just oh he murdered people and he was hanged and that's it like you can see that that's not the only part of his of his character i guess so the start of the book kind of deals with the movements of the clutters on their last day and sets up the murder and then the murder happens. And then I guess the next maybe 60, 70 percent of the book kind of deals with the police trying to find the killers, find out who it was and the reactions to everything. How did you enjoy that part of the book? Like we kind of it goes between the police effort and the FBI to catch the killers and identify them and then the killers perspectives themselves. So Dick and Perry on the run. Oren, uh, did you enjoy that part of the book, kind of the manhunt and the, I suppose, perspective we were given with the killers as they were like driving across America and beyond? Yeah, um, as I said, I, I just kind of found the the insights into Dick and Perry and their relationship developing. Um, the parts are, I'm trying to figure out exactly chronologically how it all happened, but say when they get down to is it Florida, where... I certainly started having these just kind of, I kind of started despising Dick and Perry's kind of, you start to get a better picture of the two, two characters and who they actually are. And 
Perry, you feel, has some sort of moral compass. And as you were saying, Smith, you're kind of hoping that he wasn't involved in the murder or something happened that he managed to not be there or he stayed in the car or something. But yeah, no, I enjoy that. Again, it's just an exploration of human nature and that sort of thing. Yeah, what really struck me was how nearly they got away with it. Was they call it cinch or whatever before they did it. And like he remarks, I found really chilling where he said later in the book, after they were eventually caught, like if he just murdered Floyd Wells in the cell, like he said, he was thinking about doing it, about stabbing him in the shit, whatever. He's like, if he'd done that, it never would have been. There was no link, like only Floyd Wells coming forward. I think that they probably never would have been caught. They're comparing, like they made it to Mexico, you know, they got their getaway. And then I suppose they just didn't have the brain power or the kind of cop on to make it work down there. Like they got their dream getaway. And then I think Dick was squandering all the money and things didn't really work out. And then they started coming back to crime again and kind of driving across state lines and stuff. But I found that element really interesting that they were so close to getting away with everything. But again, like Dick's talking about, oh, I should have killed Wells. He was no more going to kill him. Like, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier on, he was just full of bravado. Like, you know, as you say about that kind of manhunter going across country and nearly getting away with it, you know, like that's Dick again coming back to Kansas. And But as you were saying, or like that's where you, that manhunter is where you really get the feel of, of the two characters, of the two main boys. And like you, where you develop a, a stronger antipathy for for Dick like you know when you hear about him with the young girls and on the beach in Florida like it really does set him apart from Perry well for me in a way it, I felt a real distaste for for Dick and less so for Perry at that stage you know like since and when I think about this like I, I feel less and I think when I read this I kind of felt a, a degree of sympathy for Perry like with this say as I think about it now, I feel less and less. Maybe I've just been cynical with the whole Capote Smith relationship. Like, but you know, the, over the road trip was where I kind of made those opinions. Like, you know. Yeah, I feel. I think Smith was like a talented guy, like with the art and stuff. Even at the end, when he was in like prison and that. But I don't think there's like sympathy for the devil. Like, I even I'm thinking out of like the cross country trip where Dick they were going to kill the hitchhiker. They pulled in or the trucker guy, and Dick was like laughing and joking, and then he was like, to "Perry, I'll just give you the signal." And Perry was happy willing the stranger like they didn't mean to kill either but he was happy wait just waiting for dick to give him the thumbs up to kill this guy like they were as you were saying or in like 30 minutes of madness i don't think that can even that's not anything remotely like that i think they just had this streak in them smith could be charming and he had a lot of compassion for people at times but he had this streak in him like a terrifying streak i suppose where he'd just fly off the handle yeah, it is interesting, isn't it, how how close they did get to getting away. And, like, even, say, Floyd Wells, obviously, was the key to it at the start. But, I mean, like, as you say, they were in Mexico. And had they not returned to, like, Kansas itself, they probably would have been grand, too. I mean, and there's a million other places they could have gone. They would have been fine. So, it is, it is, yeah, like, I mean, it is interesting to, like, think about it in that way. I found, like, we talked about the book Dragon a bit. <clears throat> I found the... um the police investigation part of it was probably the bit for me that dragged the most. And I think it's maybe because you know how it ends or like you know that they have done it and you know that obviously eventually the police are going to catch up to them. Like I remember thinking this before about um the Netflix series, The Unabomber, The Manhunt Unabomber, that thing, where they're going after the Unabomber and stuff. And like where a huge part of the story is about how the police are investigating the crimes and how they're looking into it and trying to find who it, who it is. But at the same time, like you have in this, you have the Unabomber on the other side and like they're telling his story simultaneously. So you're kind of like, you know, the suspense is completely gone from the from the police investigation side to it, which I kind of felt here as well. I kind of felt it was nearly filling up space until, um, you know, until the inevitable, until they caught him, whatever. But I found that that part of the book, you did get like really interesting kind of revelations about 
uh, Perry and Dick, their relationship with each other and how you kind of learn a lot about each of them from the way the other viewed them and stuff like that. I, thought, I found myself looking forward to their chapters while I was reading the police ones because I found them like a lot more compelling and stuff. And like, yeah, that scene particularly, and I think it kind of comes out kind of comes out of the blue where like there, there's that revelation about Dick and his paedophiliac tendencies or whatever way they put it. But like, it's, it's really kind of shocking and it, it's kind of because he's made out to be human so much up until that point and you kind of do find yourself resonating with him and stuff and then suddenly this comes out with the blue and that he's like this and that he does these things and you're kind of like jesus this is very there's a dissonance to it like you know you're kind of suddenly you're, you're kind of you're immediately forced to like reevaluate him um so yeah i found that really striking interesting you mentioned there about the the kind of police investigation franny a lot of where Capote got access to the two boys and to information um, about the case was through Dewey, the head boy, and there's a lot of kind of um insinuation that he would have kind of made Dewey a bit more favorable than he was in real life, like he wasn't maybe quite as competent as he came across in the book, or that he cut you know much more corners than, than was portrayed. And yeah, the final sequence of the book is kind of an interesting one too, because you see you kind of get to meet these other like death row inmates and like they're obviously violent killers as well and stuff and it's kind of interesting to see how they all interact with each other on death row and like how your man Lowell Lee Andrews in particular is like a very interesting character you know he's this this like your man who is he's this really innocent seeming um academic kind of young man who just takes a turn one day and decides to kill his family and like I was reading about that as well on Wikipedia and it, it was a really high profile case in the states at the time and he was like a really well-known whatever but uh, it was it was really interesting then to see like Dick getting along with them and kind of referring to him as Andy and developing this kind of friendship with him through the cell and stuff. And it kind of it offers a really interesting insight, I think, into what that must be like, you know, that kind of atmosphere of being a death row inmate surrounded by other death row inmates. And it's it's there was something very real about it. There was, there was another thing, actually, apparently I was reading down again from Wikipedia. <laughs> I was reading down uh, through the In Cold Blood page. And apparently there is there, there's some question that not everything unfolded in the book as it unfolded in real life. And so the biggest example, I think, was the relationship between Perry Smith and uh, the jailhouse mistress or the, the, the girl woman that ran the jail. And she came out later. Now, like, this might have been something she said, but she came out later and said that she didn't develop that relationship with them. And there was no like physical contact and like, you know friendly closeness between them the way Capote made it out to be so I thought that was interesting too although I did kind of get the impression that that probably is something you would say if, if the book came out and it was kind of known that you'd become friends with this cold-blooded killer but uh yeah interesting nonetheless but it's it, it wouldn't be out of Perry's character to fantasize that a bit like you know and to relay yeah. that again to, to Capote there was a lot of gallows humor and stuff in it though it was almost like the locker room atmosphere I don't yeah. think Perry involved in it but like it's a really interesting sort of setting for like that whole thing, you know, isn't it? Like someone that's condemned to die and like the, the way, and especially because this is like a true story, you know, and there would have been witnesses that would have seen it. Like it's, it's mad to imagine what your state of mind would be in that situation, you know, and even having been, been in a cell for five years and being like, you know, preparing for it for so long, like, you know, you'd wonder kind of would it be still frightening or would it, would it be an early relief or like, you know, it's, it's really interesting to think about, I think. That joke actually that Dick had, the joke Dick had just before he went to the gala was actually, what was it like, uh, the, the the officer said to him, was like, oh, this is going to be a long night for you. And he says back, oh, actually, the shortest of my life. I thought that was very yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good.
even the, them be going back even just before when they did get captured, that was a mad thing outside the bank because Perry had shipped his things and went to pick them up. And even the coincidence, the police got very lucky with that, wasn't there? Like a lot of tiny little timing things that made it ideal that he walked out with the weapon or with the boots in the box. So like he basically had the smoking gun, so to speak, of evidence that was going to put him away in his arms, like literally handing it to the police as they got caught. I thought that sequence was really interesting. Again, I found that bit bit of the book that dragged a little lower it started talking through all the trial proceedings very there's a lot of legalese and factual stuff, but the debt row stuff was fascinating. Yeah, I thought that was really uh, really interesting to yeah, get inside the minds. It was kind of like that mind hunter show on Netflix almost, like hearing about all the different characters and their personalities. That M. Naxon rule, that's actually still the law here, I believe. I did my F ones there about two years ago, but like that I remember reading about that case. That's actually still I'm fairly sure the standard for like criminal insanity in Ireland and England and the States obviously as well apparently and that's, that's very controversial isn't it kind of yeah I think I can't remember precisely now I actually meant to google it but um there were there have there have obviously been refinements to the law since that came in because that was in like the 19th century sometime but it is still like it is still part of the standard I believe or there's some I don't know don't quote me on this now because this is this isn't exactly the most uh, scholarly interpretation or whatever but uh, yeah it is it is definitely still part of what you have to learn about in the law fa1 franny as we go <laughs> mind hunter really came to mind when i was reading this that was one show that uh, myself and claire watched i think last year and loved really really enjoyed it and for that reason it kind of delves into more so the criminal's mind and kind of what they're doing and not just to kind of the awfulness of the crime and kind of the impacts. Um, so yeah, I feel if someone's watched that, they'll definitely love a book like this rather than maybe, because stuff like Making a Murder, I didn't love as much as Mindhunter. So yeah, and I thought that was what made this book so fascinating, I think. It's the, psycho- the psychological element you enjoy kind of, is it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, trying to like garner some understanding of why they did it and what they were doing. Even that kind of thing of the lady who was running the jailhouse, like, did he actually have a relationship with her or was it just completely falsified? Or, you know, you can make arguments both sides and we could probably argue that all night as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is usually the time then the podcast, Marty, I see you there. You look like you're looking at your notes where you stun us with some some facts or adaptations from the book. Has this book been, a, has there been movies been called Blood? Well, actually, uh, I was actually, I'm actually just discovering I have a magnetic thing here uh, on my iPad and I was just messing with this paperclip. But yes, I do. I do have some, <laughs> I do have some nice uh, little tidbits of information about the, the movie. So the first one was uh, made in 67. So that was the year after the book was published. And it was apparently one of the most accurate or true to true to tale uh, movies ever, but definitely of that of that time. And it kind of was that style back then in a way. Like it would um I'll tell you how accurate it was. Like it was set in Holcomb. A lot of the actual members of the community were there. Like the clutter house was the exact same. The town hall was the exact same. Even the jury, 12, obviously there's 12 in the jury, seven of the 12 jurymen were the same, the same jury uh, as in, as in real life. Like that's how, that's how accurate it was. It was pretty much like a scene by scene portrayal of the book. That's the way it's been kind of uh, recognised. Uh, and the next one then is really in 05. Well, actually there was a TV series in 1996 wasn't very well received 
I don't really know a whole lot about it, to be honest, but there it was, 96. 2005 then was the the next kind of biggest, and it's probably the most well-received or uh, critics anyway, um, it uh, was a movie called Capote, and it tracks, it tracks Capote and his... How he went about, you know, making this this book and you know going to Holcomb and investigating and um, kind of delves into his relationship with Harper Lee. You know, you're one who wrote um, uh, How to Kill a Mockingbird. They actually grew up together. She was she was uh, Capote's neighbor, and they were close friends and that as well. Uh, actually, in How to Kill a Mockingbird, you know, Dill apparently Harper Lee based that on Capote. So yeah, that's a, the 2005 one is 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 much more about that, and that's the one I was telling you that Dewey is kind of shown in a different light than he is in the book. 2006, the following year, there was another uh, movie out called Infamous, and it does spend a lot of time talking about about the case, but it's more about Capote's life and growing up as a gay man, and you know his relationship with um, with Smith, and you know how that you know, severely impacted his health and, you know, it ended a 34-year relationship he had with his partner and, and that. And, you know, it, again, it goes into more depth more depth into his relationship with Harper Lee and how the book was dedicated to her, but she was left disappointed that she wasn't credited in some way. Like, you know, she obviously had much more pull in terms of getting uh, information and getting contacts and networks and that, like, than Capote did. So she was left a little bit disappointed and although in terms of movies as well, actually, you know, the big, big Lebowski, there's a scene where they're doing an investigation or the interrogation and um, there's a picture of the Bonnie's home, but that's actually the Clutter's home. Such a weird uh, connection. Oh, but, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I would rely on you, Marty, for some interesting tidbits. Um, I think that moves on, lads, to our rate expectations, our first one of 2022. Franny, I think I'll start with you. Do you want to give us your rating for In Cold Blood and why? Uh, I'm going to give it an eight. I thought it was really excellent. I thought the language, the the, the tech, like the way the book was written technically was was really, really good. The language was excellent. Uh, story was very compelling and I felt he did a great job of, you know, exposing all the characters to the reader in, like in a kind of a fair and a balanced and a kind of a complete way. Like, you know, it wasn't, you weren't just invited to think about them as cold-blooded murderers or as, or as completely evil people like you know there was there was a lot of characterization to it which i really liked so uh yeah eight for me i'm gonna go with a 7.5 i'd love to know or remember what i gave this quite a month or two ago because i think i'm a bit like you guys looking back and you know i've thought about it again and again i've been like oh, that was actually really interesting and it's been great chatting about it again having let it have time to kind of mature the psychological element of it was was definitely class and chatting about mind hunter there I really enjoyed that and trying to figure out these characters and why they did it and what the, you know, what was involved. So yeah, 7.5 for me. Yeah, look, I did enjoy it, um, but I, I am going to stick with my original <laughs> score um, from the first time we recorded this, uh, which was a six. Um, like I did, I did enjoy reading it. I think as Franny says, like, you know, the, the, the style of writing and, and that really did carry me through that, the, some of that slow period. There was a few kind of loose answers, like, you know, I kind of kind of wanted to know, like, where, what happened Willie J? Like, what happened Billy? What happened Johnson? What happened Wells? I kind of felt maybe I wouldn't have minded some sort of cap on their story. Not that they were major parts, but I was left wondering a bit there. Look, I did really like how Perry and Dick were, you know, humanized and, you know, you weren't, you went through a lot of the book with some degree of sympathy 
But I think as a read, look, I enjoyed it. Would I be going looking for another book like this? Probably not. Um, so I think a six, probably a fair score for me. Very good. I'm very similar to you, Oren. Like we're saying, we're thinking about it more and more. I think I'd say my score now is higher than when we recorded this before Christmas. I really liked the kind of all-encompassing things that you all touched on that like it was gave you almost every angle of the murder in the community and the killers it kind of left no stone unturned. And I think, like, I don't know, what would it inspire me to go on and read more true crime books or anything? But if I was only to read one major true crime book in my life, I'd probably be happy enough that it was this one. And the murders themselves, like, it was so shocking. Like, I think Nancy Clutter in particular, I think Capote did a great job of humanizing the Clutters, even though obviously they're on screen or on page for such a short time. The murder so near to the start of the book, I really felt for children and each like Herb and Bonnie then as well like it kind of delved into the personalities very well very quickly so yeah for all those reasons I'm going to give it a seven and a half as well yeah so uh, in absence of uh, Podgin who's in Mexico probably looking for that treasure that Perry uh, was looking for and probably doesn't know about it because he probably didn't read the book but the average from the Lower Hour Boys is 7.25 all right, lads, just before we wrap up, has anyone reading anything good? Have you come across anything good the last few weeks? Uh, yeah, so I actually was reading this book that we just covered up until about an hour before the podcast. So that was kind of taking up a lot of my time uh, reading-wise. I got, same as I get every year, I got Ross O'Carroll Kelly for Christmas. So I'm probably going to crack into that now later today. I'm sure it'll be uh, funny as usual. Other than that, actually, I'm reading uh, Seamus O'Reilly's book as well, which I know we're going to cover in the podcast after the next podcast, I think. So I'm kind of nearly finished that as well. So that's kind of my reading at the moment. Yeah, Ross Carroll Kelly would be a slight change of tone from this book. It's a, a welcome one. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. what about you? Are you reading much? Yeah, I actually I read a great book over Christmas. Claire actually got for me called Still Life. It's a book set, I think, just after World War II. I don't know what way to describe it because when it started, I found it kind of hard to get into. And I was like, oh, it was, it was the only book I took away at me. I was like, oh, kind of, I'll hack on into it. It should be fine. But it's a really nice kind of portrayal of life and the relationships. It's set in Florence and art history comes into it and everything. And um, it was a really, really lovely book. And I've actually I've bought it for my mom there as well. Something I thought she'd remember. So if any of you are interested in it, it wouldn't be something that I'd pick off the shelf, I'd say, and be like, yeah, that's what I'm into. But it was, was well worth the read. And the other book I actually got for Christmas was Between Two Hells by Dermot Ferreter. So again, a different change of pace. I think it's actually the centenary of the Irish Civil War. So interested to crack into that. Dermot, actually, fun fact, I was I did a module with him in college. And I'd say he was the only man I've ever listened to lecture who wanted to stand up and clap after every single every single hour. He's absolutely unreal. So that should be good. Yeah, that's deadly. That's in, they both sound really interesting. What about you, Marty? Have you been reading much? Yeah, reading a bit. I am reading Gorky Park at the minute. It's Martin Cruz Smith, I think his name is the author. It's supposed to be one of like one of the original or genre defining books for thrillers, detective kind of you know Robert Langdon style book. I you know I love those so I do so yeah I'm 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 enjoying it so far. It it's not particularly well written like, but the story is quite good and enjoying that. Yeah, I'm starting to read Malala Yousafzai's book. It's actually the teen version. It's kind of like a, a slightly watered down version of her of her more true to true to life story. Um, reason being, I'm trying to get a few like with my with my fifth class and trying to get them to maybe 
delve into nonfiction a bit, you know, like at, at 11, 12, 13, 14, that's kind of like the age that the Harry Potters and the, you know, the Dogman and Dire of BK becomes less interesting, but there's still a big gap between the likes of those and some more slightly advanced books. I can, so it's kind of, I'm trying to get them to read a bit more nonfiction, so, but I kind of have to do a bit of a, a proofread on it to see, you know, is it is it a bit still a bit too gory or or heavy? Yeah. Is it suitable? Yeah, we actually <laughs> we actually finished a, a great book in class uh, called the Thornthwaite Inheritance. It's really really good. It's about these twins who whose parents died when they were three and left in the will a fortune, uh, but they didn't get it until they're sixteen, and their whole lives they spend trying to kill each other to get the fortune when they're sixteen. Uh, if you fancy a really quick, easy, nice read, which yeah, that's it. That's it. Kids corner at Marty. <laughs> I'm um, telling you, lad. Some of the kids' books are class. Oh, they're brilliant. Yeah. yeah, I've been yeah, I've been reading three like between between the isolation and Christmas, I end up reading a lot. I finished a really good one uh, called We Begin at the End, which I know we already enjoyed. Where the crawdads sing, and it's pretty similar. Which is, I saw it at a bookshop, and it was billed as like similar to Where the Crawdads Sing. It's a really good story of like that, like a small backwards town in America and there's like a murder and then things escalate. That was good. I'm reading another book, The Invisible Life of Addie Larue at the minute, which is good. It's kind of like the age ad line. If you ever seen that film, it's about a girl who basically sells her soul in a deal with the devil to like live forever. But the curse that comes with it is that everyone will forget her instantly after a day. It's like 51st dates where it resets every day. So it seems really interesting. I'm not that far into it, but it's very good. And then finally, the other book I'm reading at the minute is The Great Circle, which Rachel English actually uh, was talking about on our episode with her in the paper race in her interview she uh, by Maggie Shipstead. And uh, I'd already, well, Hannah had actually bought it for me for Christmas because I went to buy it then after. And uh, Hannah had to tell me no, not to, to return it on my Kindle because she bought me a hard copy. So... I was reading that down to beach today that's superb as well if you're looking for a good book really enjoying that all right lads i think we'll leave it there it's good to be back and hopefully this episode records <laughs> as intended and we don't have to do it a third time podge as you've noticed isn't with us he's still traveling around. i think he's in guatemala at the moment so he didn't quite make it with the time difference and the fact that i don't think he'd read the book so that was also a <laughs> but uh, hopefully we'll have him back with us next time because next in our next episode in season two episode seven we're going to be talking all things rodell talking about our favorite rodell stories and it should be a bit of fun and maybe something a bit lighter after in cold buds as usual, in the meantime, keep an eye on Lero.com and our social media pages on Spotify for all our latest content. And yeah, get in touch and good luck. <laughs> <laughs>